0: To teach the word today, we're going to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit. Let's begin with prayer, Heavenly Father. We ask for Your hand to be upon this session. Please be with me as I attempt to bring out scriptures that will that You will use to uh, touch our hearts, convict us, change us. So, Lord, that's our prayer. That You, Your Word, would cut to the division of body and soul, like like You say that it does. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So let role the Holy Spirit. So, um, basically, we have uh, Romans 1 talks about the state of humanity, the state of man. So, if we were to look at Romans 1, 18, say 18, 20, 18 through 21, let's just turn there. You'll see our deprived state, uh, how basically, let's just read it. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse because although they knew God they did not glorify him as God nor were thankful but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. So you have this suppression of the truth of God. Our the heart of of an unbeliever, the sinful heart, suppresses the truth of God. And um Paul and elsewhere in Corinthians goes so far as to say that the unbelieving mind cannot understand spiritual things. If we see that in First uh, Corinthians, Let's flip to first Corinthians chapter two, verse fourteen. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Um, So, this this idea is that the unbeliever uh, is suppressing the truth, he actually can't grasp spiritual things, um, and he's trapped. He's trapped in the sin cycle, in the pattern of sin. Let's look at Ephesians 4, 18-19 to see uh, the trapped condition Paul talking about that So Ephesians 4 18-19 having their understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness you have that Uh, total state of blindness, ignorance, past feeling, giving themselves over to lewdness, trapped in sin. So that's the state of the unbelieving heart. And uh, enter the Holy Spirit. So one of the uh, reasons that God sent the Holy Spirit into the world was to work on those hardened hearts. If we look at when Jesus is talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit in John 16... We can see this. John 16, starting in verse 8. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said, he will take of mine and declare it to you. So, it's the the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, You saw there clearly stated that it's uh, convicting the uh, world of sin. That's that's one of the stated purposes. There's other things there, as we read on. Leading the, guiding uh, the believers. Leading them, bringing to remembrance the things Jesus had said. Guiding them into truth. But um, also, convicting the world of sin. Um, The purpose there is to lead people to salvation. Uh, We see in Acts 2, where a sermon is being preached by the Apostle Paul. We see the Holy, by by, uh, Peter, sorry, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descends down and Peter is preaching, we see in narrative form this in action, the Holy Spirit working on the hardened hearts. So if we turn to Acts 2, 37-38, we see, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the remission of sins, that you may receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what happens? The Holy Spirit's working on their hearts, and they are cut to their hearts, so they're convicted in the heart through the preaching of Peter. Um, so we see uh, pretty clearly uh, in Acts uh, 2 that happening. We can see it again in and uh, other passages, in Act, like Acts 16 is another passage. If we turn to Acts 16, 14, and 15, we have a preaching going on, and uh, a woman here hearing it. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. So their opening of the heart, is how it's phrased there. We also see this in uh, the non-narrative passages, just being uh, taught, like uh, if we go to Titus 3.5, the function of the Holy Spirit opening eyes. The eyes of the heart. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. That's a chorus. Uh, we used to sing a lot. Open the eyes of my heart. So three, five, of Titus. What do we got? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So there's a function of the Holy Spirit, renewing the mind, opening it to truth. Um, and then we see also in 1 uh, Peter, this being talked about. Let's turn to 1 Peter 1, 9 through 12. Holy Spirit working on the heart to change it. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. So this is 1 Peter 1, verse 9 and 10. Now I'm in 11. Searching what, or what manner of time, the Spirit of Christ, who was in them, was indicating when He testified beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow. I'm just uh to them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the holy spirit sent from heaven. These things angels desire to look into. So the gospel is being preached how? By the holy spirit. So he's, he's mediating the word of God. It's it's going forth, it's reception. Um we jump down further in First Peter. We see, uh, what what is this, like 20, 18. Let's go 18 to 23. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So the act of coming to to to, to knowledge of Christ, of receiving Christ, is being uh, superintended by the Holy Spirit. Here it's described as the uh, having purifying your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit. Uh, in Titus, it was renewing the wa- washing or the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Um, in Acts, we saw it, it described narratively, cut to the heart, opening the eyes of the heart. So that's one function of the Holy Spirit. There's the deprived condition of man and the Holy Spirit working on the heart of man to bring uh, them to salv the, the the unbeliever to salvation. Um so that what we could just basically say the Holy Spirit convicts hearts and he leads people to salvation. But that's not the only result. If there's a hard if the the, the belief there's choice involved. There's we're not talking about a passive um thing. So you can be you can Holy Spirit can work on the heart and the heart can respond by choosing to move towards salvation or the heart can respond the, the, the unbelieving heart by uh rejection of God. And Basically, uh, a hardening of the heart. We see this in Acts 7. Uh, let's go back to Acts 7. We'll go back to Acts, at least. So, I mean, now I'm going to be in Acts 7. Oh, uh, where, where was I? 51 through 54. I think this is maybe with Stephen giving a speech and the Sanhedrin's response. Yeah. So, he says to them, because they're rejecting, Stephen's talking to the Jewish people, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute, and they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by direction of angels, and have not kept it, and when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth, so here they're, they're moved in their hearts, but not uh, to repent, they're moved to kill Stephen, and that's what they do, they uh, stone him to death, so there's uh, the Holy Spirit working on the heart can go two ways, it's towards salvation, or rejection of God, acceptance of God's salvation, or rejection of God, and hardening, further hardening of the heart, um, so that's one role of the Holy Spirit, but it's not like the Holy Spirit's involved in salvation, and then bye-bye Holy Spirit, Uh After salvation, the Holy Spirit continues to play a vital role in the life of the believer. Um, If you look at what Jesus says when he's talking about sending the Holy Spirit back in uh, John, and also in 1 John, right where I read before in John 16, just go back and read that, John 16, 13, What what does it say? It says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but wherever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. So this is the Holy Spirit guiding the believer towards truth. Um, in this particular case, in John, uh, could be interpreted more than more than one way. It could be refer, understood to just be referring to the twelve apostles that they were going to be guided into all truth, and they were going to be told things to come, and that was in a sense their mandate, uh, their scripture writing authority. Uh, um. Or it could be understood as applying to all believers. Um, different. There's two different schools of thought on that. Just so you're aware. Um, uh, where are we here? Uh, John. That was John 16:13. If you go flip back, John 14:26, you have the same sediment. Uh, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. That's a function of the Holy Spirit in the believer today. He brings to remembrance scripture that we've read uh, that's been preached to us. He brings it up and he convicts our hearts with it. If you're a believer you've experienced that um, for any length of time, you know, you've experienced it. Not if, not if you become a believer yesterday or something, but it happens. Um, we also see in 1 John the same same idea. And, and here in 1 John it can't be interpreted to under, be just referring to the apostles, so um, gives a little bit of wiggle room for <clears throat> interpreting the John 16, 14, as referring referring to all believers. Uh, so, John uh, 1 John uh, 2, 27. He says, uh, But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But that same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie. And just as he taught you, you will abide in him. It's about the Holy Spirit. Teaching the believer. One of his functions is to lead the believer into all truth. Um, what is What else? Um, we got teacher, right? Well, then we have indwelling. He actually lives in believers. The the believer is, is, in a sense, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. If you look at Romans uh, 8, verse 9, we see this stated. That every believer has the Spirit of God in them. that belongs to Christ, in verse 9, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So any believer, anyone who belongs to Christ, has the Spirit of Christ dwelling in them. Uh, by, uh, I guess it's a inverse, the inverse of this Paul statement in 9, is that every believer has the Holy Spirit in them. So then, uh, what else? Uh, you see it also in uh, 1 Corinthians 3.16, same thing about the Spirit living in the believer. There's some, the, the union, where, where is it? Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? That's uh, 1 Corinthians 3.16. So, Holy Spirit, this is prior to salvation, prior to coming to God, the Holy Spirit acts as the um, one who who convicts the heart and the mind and, br- and leads to salvation. After salvation, the Holy Spirit acts as a teacher, um, guiding into truth. He indwells. He... Um, Fills the believer. There's this uh, phrase uh, uh, of being full of the Holy Spirit or filled with the Spirit. We see it in Acts. Uh, we see it in Ephesians. Let's just look at Acts two, when the Holy Spirit first arrives. We see it, um, and, and, and Acts two four, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. There's being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we see the same thing, Acts 16, 13. Um, and on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. We sat down and... Sp- uh, that's the wrong uh, passage, huh? Wrong reference, but needless to say, more than one lo- location in Acts, the believers are described as being filled with with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Anyways, in in Ephesians, that's Luke. In Ephesians, Paul uses the phrase be filled with the Spirit as a command to every believer. Um, So we're in Ephesians uh, 5.18. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So we have this command to be filled with the Spirit, we have um, the uh, fact that the Spirit lives in us. We have the fact that the Spirit is our teacher as believers. Um, we have the Holy Spirit empowering us for uh, witnesses for Christ. If you look at Ephesians 1, um, uh, where was that? Ephesians 1, 19 through 20. What is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power? so we're talking about the power that's in Christ, that power is at work in us, the believer and, and this is a prayer that we would come to the realization of what verse 19, what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power which he worked when he raised Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and powers. So, the idea here is that there's power. The Holy Spirit is empowering believers uh, for more than one thing. Um, So, he empowers believers to be a witness for Christ. You'll see that in Acts. That's a description of the Holy Spirit coming, Acts 1.18. There's power, there's an empowerment of believers uh, in Acts 1, eight, not 18, Acts 1, eight. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So there you have uh, power to be the witness, witnesses for Christ. Um, there's uh, giftedness. So he he provides uh, supernatural talents, so to speak, or abilities. They're called uh, spiritual gifts. You see that in uh, 1 Corinthians 12. The Spirit is mediating the giving of gifts. Uh, let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians 12:7 through 11. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But the one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one, Individually, as he wills. So the Holy Spirit is involved in distributing spiritual gifts. Or these these talents, super, spirit, supernatural abilities to believers. Talents. Um, what else? Uh, insurance of salvation. He's referred to as the seal of our salvation. Or the guarantee of our salvation. Giving us the assurance, the the, the knowledge that we are indeed saved. If you look at um, Ephesians 1.13... In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Seal is a guarantee of our salvation, assurance of salvation to believers. The Holy Spirit administers that assurance to them. Um, what else? Uh, how about he intercedes for believers? Um, if you look at Romans 8, you'll see that he, in fact, is praying for believers. Uh. Romans 8, uh, 26-27. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So, the Holy Spirit is praying for us, actively as believers, before the throne of God, interceding. Um, So we got it assurance, we got assurance of salvation, we got intercession, and then we have that he's actively um, renewing the believer internally, like uh, right, right where we are in Romans 8. Let's look at verse 10 and 11. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. So that's a physical renewal. Uh, but he's active in renewing the believer. Um, we see it, say, like in Philippians. Uh, let's just look, flip over to Philippians. Look at Philippians 2, 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do, according to his good pleasure. So he's changing our bodies changing our desires the desires of our heart to will and to do according to his good pleasure he's actively involved in renewing and he's also actively involved in enabling us to bear fruit that is good character attributes change uh, if we look at Galatians 5 you see what's called the fruit of the spirit um, uh, Galatians 5. Where are we here? 22 through 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is not a law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So, that's, that, well, that's enough for, for this teaching. We could do it to be continued more on the Holy Spirit, uh, the role of the Holy Spirit. But, um, just to sum it up, the believer's unbelieving heart and mind is is darkened, cannot understand, cannot perceive. One function of the Holy Spirit is to bring light to the unbelieving mind and heart so that they can either choose the salvation God is offering or reject it. To, to bring them to the knowledge of their sin and of God's free gift. That's one role. Then, for the believer, after salvation, what's the role, functions of the Holy Spirit? Well, we looked at several. Um, What do we, what did we look at? Um, we looked at, uh, um, he's the teacher, the believer's teacher. He lives in believers. He fills them with himself. He empowers them to be a witness for Christ. He gives them spiritual gifts, uh, supernatural talents. He provides assurance of their salvation. He intercedes for them according to God's will. And he he's actively renewing them internally. And he enables them to bear fruit externally. So we have nine ways that he's working in the life of the believer. So there's some scripture on the Holy Spirit, his role. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we've contemplated your spirit at work in us, we pray, Lord God, that you would use the scriptures that we've just looked at and read to convict our hearts of sin and to change us, to make us more like you, to be led further into your truth, to be conformed to, the, to your image. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.